those hours driving home from camp to get here, but anyways, we just want to say thank you to the saints for praying, not just for me and my family, but for the ministry of Camp Horizon and all the other camps like it going on around this country and around the world. And uh, it is hard work, and uh, I enjoy it, but I feel my age this year. Uh, I found myself the other night doing this competition with my campers. They, they, they couldn't do the muddy marble dig, so they decided to drop the marbles into the pool. And of course, they all go to the deepest part of the pool, right? So you have all these people rushing to get to the marbles at the bottom of the pool. And uh, after about the eighth time, I'm trying to swim back to the wall with marbles in my hands and uh, gasping desperately for air. I said, what am I doing competing against 18-year-olds in a competition like this? I don't know. But the exciting thing is that there are young people who come to camp, some of them paying their own way, some of them being sponsored by those who care about them, who are under the sound of the word 10 times in chapel in the course of the week, morning devotions with their counselor and evening, and lots of times in between as we put out fires relationally. Um, to try to make application of the Word of God to their daily lives. And uh, whether it's a 9 or 10-year-old kid never really understood or heard the gospel before, or whether it's a 17-year-old getting ready to go to college, um, learning to receive the Lord's forgiveness for themselves, or learning to set someone else free from their own wrath and bitterness and unforgiveness. Um, it's exciting to see God work in the hearts and lives of people. And uh, we need to continue to pray for them as they go home. Some of them are going home, going home to homes that we would not like to send them to because you hear about what goes on in their daily experience. And, uh, and yet that's their reality. And so uh, we need their prayers. Um, interestingly enough, every camp that I heard about or went to or talked to people from this summer was short-staffed. And so as you consider your future ministry and how the Lord can use you, I would just like to encourage you to consider uh, it is a ministry worth considering for those of us who, yes, are adults who need vacation time, but it's cheaper than a plane ticket to go to an an international location to reach young people. And um, uh, the camps need solid Christians to take the place to, to, to break down the Word of God for children who are coming from home situations where uh, it takes the wisdom of Solomon, the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, as we call out to him for help, to, to apply the Word of God to some really, really tough situations. And, uh, but lives are changed, and we praise God that he is working not only there but here, right? And so we have the opportunity now year-round year to serve him. And so we look forward to what's coming for Vacation Bible School next. But uh, thank you again for your prayers. In light of that, why don't we uh, go to the Lord in prayer now together. Father, we just want to thank you for the work that you do in each of our lives. Lord, nothing in our lives escapes your notice. You know our triumphs. You know the tragedies of our daily experience, and you care about them. 
And, and when we doubt that, we just have to realize that you were thinking of us even before the world began. Even before our lives began, you knew all the days that we would live and the, the things that we would face and, and the failures and sins of our lives. And yet you were willing to send your son, the Lord Jesus, to, the, to this earth that he might live the perfect life that would qualify him to take our place there on the cross and pay the full penalty of our sin. And we just rejoice in the healing that has come to our souls as a result of what our Savior has done for us. And Lord, we would just ask that you would help us, even here in our daily lives, to be willing to get out of our comfort zones, to be used by you, to bring that same hope and life through Jesus Christ to those around us. And Father, this morning as we open your word, we want to ask that you would prepare our hearts to receive what you would have to say to us today. Father, uh, there are so many distractions in our day. Sometimes it's uh, internal in our own hearts. Sometimes it's external in the things that are going on in the circumstances of our lives. But we want to ask that you would give us the ability now to leave those things at your feet and to sit there at your feet and, and to hear and receive from you as you speak your word to us today. Father, I would just pray for the for myself, the speaker you've uh, uh, chosen for this morning to share the thoughts from your word from our passage today. And I pray that you would guide me, give me the, way, the ability to articulate the, the lessons you've spoken to me in a way that, that is in accordance with your word in every way, and that you would show us how to apply it to our own lives, that we would not just be hearers, but doers of the word, uh, and that you would be honored and praised as we get to know you more as we walk closer to you, and uh, Lord, as you would seek to use us in our daily lives. We would pray, Lord, for anyone here or in the Sunday school classes who don't know you personally as Lord and Savior, that, that you especially would speak to their hearts today, that you would convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and show them how they can have everlasting life through faith in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, as was mentioned, we're in Luke chapter 8 today. If you turn with me there, we're going to pick up in the, the, the flow of the story that we've been studying now for some weeks. We're looking at the life of Christ, and we've spent many months going through the history of the Scriptures. And, of course, we realize it's not a history of the world. It's a history of God's dealings with mankind and how He made us and loves us. And although we've been broken by sin and our world is cursed and we have many trials, He is working a plan to bring salvation and redemption, to bring us back into a right relationship with Him. And there are many examples from the history of God's people, the Israelites, that picture for us the work that our Savior would do when He finally came. So now we have the great privilege of investigating the various things that Jesus both said and did to see the fulfillment of the many promises that have been going on. And I love... Before we read today's passage, we'll be picking up today's story starting uh, in verse 41. But just to kind of recap our uh, lesson from last week, as it is the same chapter, Luke chapter 8. We were looking at the Lord and how he demonstrated who he was as the Son of God by being Lord over creation. He's the one that made this world. He made everything about it. He designed the very laws of physics that governs it. And yet we saw that he controlled the winds and the waters and they obeyed him. It was absolute evidence that he is indeed the son of God. If you go back to the Old Testament, I believe it's in Job where it says that is the Lord and the Lord alone who controls the winds and the sea. And so it was not a mistake. It wasn't just a coincidence that he chose to, to still the waves and the winds 
just to help his disciples in a time of difficulty in the boat. He was proving who he was. We see that it wasn't just physical creation, but there was a man who was possessed not just by a demon, but many, 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 many demons who dominated his life and terrorized him, demonized him as the word of God would say it. And the Lord had absolute authority over the angelic and demonic realm as well. You and I do not. And it's very interesting. Uh, uh, sometimes we can become so riveted by the stories of, of the manifestation of demons that we can actually get carried away with it and miss the actual point. But we saw the point last week. The man who could not be contained, who would break chains and, and, and lived amongst the tombs and... It says he was uh, going about naked and living amongst the tombs. And yet after he met Jesus, he was clothed and in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus has absolute authority over all creation. And this morning we're going to continue looking at the same chapter and see that he is indeed the Lord of life itself. And maybe as you look at demons and... Uh, 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 being trapped in a storm and the way he, 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 he showed his lordship over creation, maybe that doesn't touch home to you as much as it did to the disciples who saw and witnessed those things. We live in a fairly, uh, uh, I'll call it tame society compared to some of that in our uh, uh, modern culture. But today, we will see the very lives of some people that were broken personally. And the healing that the Lord brought to them because he is the Lord of life itself. And so um, to continue the flow of thought, I'd just like to go back and, and read chapter 8, verse 25. There are two questions asked, which I would like to leave with you both at the beginning and the end of today's message. Two questions asked in Luke eight twenty-five. But Jesus said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, who can this be for he commanded even the winds and the water and they obey him so the two questions where is your faith you know we're going to see two people today who one had more faith it seems than the other and the important thing about faith is not as much how much faith you have how great your faith is but the question that jesus asked where is your faith and so the importance of the second question comes to bear when they said who can this be who is this jesus really was he just a good man was he just a good teacher was he somehow a miracle worker who just helped people by meeting their felt needs or was he truly and is he truly the son of god come in the flesh and if he is where, where is your faith is it in him if it is then you will experience in your personal life with these two individuals experience in our text today. If you're not convinced that it's him, then your faith is probably somewhere else. And no matter how much faith you have, if it's in the wrong place, you're lost. I remember when I was on my first trip overseas and I was visiting some missionaries and in order to get there, I had to go through a train station in Germany. And I did my best to read a little sign up there telling me what trains went to eating in and what platform I had to get to. And uh, I thought I figured it out. And I went with every ounce of 
confidence I could muster to stand on that platform. And some, plane, some trains came and went on other platforms. And uh, <clears throat> a man came along, and he spoke English. He asked where I was going. And I told him, and he said, oh, you're on the wrong platform. You need to go two over over there. And so her, my train was supposed to come in just a few minutes. And uh, I raced over to the stairs, went across, and no sooner had I got there, I got on the train, and I was on my way, and I thought, where in the world would that train have taken me? I'd have gone down there with full confidence that I was in the right place based on my reasonings, and I never would have gotten to the right destination. Where is your faith? Who is this Jesus? I hope you have the correct answer to those questions today. And so we're going to pick up the story here in uh, Luke chapter 8, and we're going to begin our reading in verse 41. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman, having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? And when all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you. And you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was, was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, do not be afraid, only believe and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James and John and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her. But Jesus said, do not weep. She's not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand and said, and called saying, little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned and she arose immediately and he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. May God bless the reading of his word. Father, as we again have read your word. We thank you so much for it. We thank you for having it in our own language and the freedom of this country to open it and proclaim it. We pray that, again, you would prepare our hearts to receive what you have to say to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's a remarkable story. But as I was going from last week's passage into this one, something struck me before I even got into the tale. It's kind of a connection between what we just saw in the first half and now as we conclude the chapter of the great miracle that Jesus did, but the reaction of the people in the multitudes. The word multitude is used both times here. If you look just a few verses before we read, it says, verse 37, 
Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear, and he got into the boat and returned, and that is, returned to where he had come from before being there and meeting that man. But it says when Jesus left that region and he went back across the sea to where he had come from, it says, verse 40, that when Jesus returned, the multitude welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. It's interesting to me to see that Jesus did miracles that proclaimed his his greatness, proclaimed his deity, that he was indeed God in the flesh. And yet the reaction of the people being so different. Why is it that we see him doing this miracle in the one town? It's the only one healed. The multitude sent him away. They asked him to depart. Now, he knew all the other people that might have been sick there. He knew the other people who might have had need. But listen, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus personally, I want to tell you he's not going to force his way into your life. The facts are simply presented to us, but we have to be open to receive them. And what we see here as we begin our story today, it says, when Jesus returned to that town, the multitude welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. I found it very interesting this last week at camp as we began. I felt compelled in our first devotional time to challenge my teenagers with this very question. Listen, it's not a mistake that the 10 of you were put in this cabin here with me and and my co-counsel this week. I wasn't even supposed to be at camp this summer. But God has arranged things for us all to be here. And I, I just simply ask them, Will you open your heart to hear what God has to say to you this week because he brought you here? Maybe you came here because you just wanted to pick up girls. That happens at camp. (laughs) Happens here at churches too. Sometimes people come because they're hoping to get a handout. They're helping all kinds of reasons people come. But the ultimate question is, will you open your heart to hear what God has to say to you? And two young people in the last two weeks simply with that challenge alone, started the week by saying, yes, Lord, I want you to speak to me. And both of them came to know the Lord personally as their Lord and Savior during these last couple weeks. Perhaps they might have opened their heart later in the week, but it happened early on because they were indeed willing. Can I ask you today, do you welcome the word of the Lord into your life? Are you willing to let him speak to you to where you need to be spoken to? That's what he desires to do, not only today, but every time you open this book. But sadly, just like the people who sent him away, oftentimes we just leave our Bible on the shelf and we're not listening to his word. But I would challenge you, as I challenge myself, let us do what Jesus said is the only necessary thing, to sit at his feet listening to his word. It'll change you because he is the living word and he speaks through this written word to us whenever we are willing to listen. So here we come to the town where they welcomed him because they were waiting for him. So what happens there? First of all, we learn that there was a man who came to Jesus and his name was Jairus. We learn of him that he was a ruler of the synagogue. Very interesting because If you look in other places in the Gospels, the religious leaders, by and large, did not receive Jesus. They did not welcome him. But here was one who did welcome him. He was waiting for Jesus to come. And his name, interestingly enough, means God will awaken. That's what Jairus means. 
And this one, whom the Spirit of God awakened to a need in his life, he came to Jesus. And if any of us are going to truly come to him, it's going to be because the Spirit of God will awaken in us the ability to see and discern the need that we truly have. This man was a ruler of the Jews. Later on in John chapter 12, when when, uh, uh, Nicodemus, who had come to Jesus by night, who had also trusted in Jesus. Uh, the rulers were discussing uh, a situation that had happened and, and how Lazarus had been raised from the dead and how to get rid of him. And Nicodemus said, well, listen, shouldn't we give him a chance first and hear what he's really teaching? And they turned and rebuked him and said, listen, have any of the rulers believed in him? Have any of the Pharisees believed in him? With the implied answer, no. So get with the program. He's not who he says he is. But that's not the case. Just a few verses later, it says many of the rulers did believe in him but they didn't confess him out loud because of the fear of the jews they were more concerned about the praise of men and the reaction of their friends than they were the reaction of god and so they were silent believers in the lord jesus but here was one of the rulers who was not he saw the greatness of his need and he came to jesus and uh, 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 the interesting thing about this is uh in contrast of his situation with the other story within this story, right? As Jairus comes and he says, I've got my only daughter who's 12 years old is dying and I need you to come to pray for her, to lay your hand on her that she may be healed and live. Jesus begins to go to answer this need. And in the middle of this story, we meet another character, right? This other woman, verse 43, who's had this issue or flow of blood for 12 years, who it says had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any of them came herself from behind and touched the border of Jesus' garment. And it says that immediately her flow of blood stopped. Now, before we go any further in the story, let me just summarize what we've just read about these two characters. Okay, we're going to compare and contrast. A lot of C's. I'm not normally one who does good at alliterating because I come to one point and I was like, I can't find a word that I feel like is the main point that matches and I just throw the alliteration away. But are two characters as we compare and contrast. First of all, Jairus was a rich man. He was a man of prominence. He was a man of position. He probably was a wealthy man. And yet he had this need. The woman, on the other hand, she was at this point poor. Don't know how much she had before, but she was somebody who now had nothing. Whatever she did have had been spent because she went to the doctors looking for help for a medical issue that she had that she found no healing for. And if you look back in Leviticus chapter 15, it tells you that if you're a person who has some sort of bodily discharge, whether man or a woman, but in this case, she's a woman who had this, this flow of blood and there's different things that that could have been. But the, the issue, according to Leviticus 15, was if that was you, you were considered unclean and could not be around other people. If you sat down on something, whatever you sat on was unclean. If you went to sleep on your bed, it was unclean. Whoever slept on the bed with you was unclean. And so constantly this woman was facing a life of being alone and unclean and an outcast. And I think to myself, as we look at the story and how Jesus sees the need of both of these people and he responds to them. As I look at these two characters, I find myself relating to one or the other of them all throughout. There are times where I feel like I'm all alone. Times I feel like a nobody in this world. But Jesus cared about her and he cares about me and he cares about you. 
It's not just the important people in the world, in the world's eyes, but in God's eyes, we're all important. And that's why Jesus came, that he might save us and rescue us from our sin. And so Jairus had a need. This woman had a need. He was one of reputation and power and privilege and position. And she was this woman who was an outcast, who was poor and often rejected and alone and on the sidelines of life. But it also says there's some things that we notice that are similar about each of these characters, right? It says that both of them had a problem that was 12 years in the making. Here was Jairus who had a beloved daughter. It says it was only daughter that he had. And here she was on the edge of death. There was something precious in his life that was in the verge of being taken away. And he was doing everything he could to hang on to it. But he could not. And here was a woman who for 12 years had something in her life that she desperately wanted to get rid of and could not. So we see both extremes in the two cases where they have a need, one that they would like to get rid of. Uh, this sickness and the other one, this daughter that he wants to hang on to and he could not. They were both surrounded by multitudes, but individually uh, they came to the Lord Jesus, the soul's place for the solution of their problem. And I would just like to say, as is said so many times in these cases, at least they knew where to go. We try all kinds of fixes to our problems, but at what point do we finally realize Jesus is who I really need? Let me come to him. How did they come to him? They humbled themselves. Jairus, with all of his prestige, he comes down and falls down at the feet of Jesus, begging him to come to his house. He humbled himself before Jesus. This woman was already fairly humbled, but how did she come to Jesus? It says she pressed through the crowd. She didn't even feel like she could confront him from up front. She made her way from behind just to reach out and without letting anybody know, touch the edge of his coat. And maybe that's you today. A problem that nobody knows about, but you and the Lord. But you just want to come, reach out and touch him. He's here to meet you in your need. So this problem of 12 years in the making, um, Jairus comes, and I, I love this. So we see, we see the contrast and the comparing between these two characters, but I'd just like to make note of, it. just in the, the, the narration of the text, the character of our, of, our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, his care and his compassion. It tells me here in verse 42, this, this prestigious man comes and begs the Lord to come to his house to heal his daughter, and it says, but as he went, as he went, the Lord responded to Jairus' need. As he went, he was making his way there. But you know, he didn't see Jairus or this woman as an interruption. Do you ever worry about bringing something to the Lord and feeling like you're just kind of interrupting more important things? Like, oh, that's not such a big thing. There have been times in my life where, where, where I felt a need for something and I, and I started thinking, well, Lord, man, the thought in my brain was, wow, wouldn't it be cool? Because I hear stories of sometimes other people, Christians who say, you know, I didn't tell anybody my need and I just asked the Lord to give me one of these and someone came up and said, hey, do you need one of these? And there it is. And uh, I remember feeling the need for something. And I was like, man, Lord, I, I really, I don't have the money or the ability to, 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 to get that thing. And, 
And, and, and I stopped myself and thought, Dave, do you really think someone's just going to walk up and say, hey, do you need one of these? And so I didn't pray. And about two weeks later, you can probably guess what's going to happen, right? Someone walks up and says, hey, do you need one of these? And uh, 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 it was exactly what I needed. And uh, I felt pretty rebuked that I didn't even bring myself to the point of asking the Lord. I didn't have enough faith to ask because I thought, that's kind of silly. In the midst of all these other things, and I didn't ask. But you know what? The Lord knows, and He cares. Even sometimes when we don't have the courage to ask, He cares, and He has compassion. And here was this woman. She didn't ask the Lord for healing like Jairus did. She just reached out to touch the Lord, to make a connection with Him. And it says the moment... She went, now, now, this is interesting. The word thronged, it says the, the crowds thronged him. It's the word for strangle or drown, okay? So imagine Jesus is on his way trying to follow Jairus. There's so many people around that, that, that he can barely squeeze through because they're squishing in on him. And he doesn't view this as an interruption. He's happy to go. And in the midst of all that, she somehow makes her way through the crowd from behind and she reaches through some people and touches the edge of his, the hem of his jacket, his garments, his clothes. And immediately it says she was healed. The flow of blood stopped and she knew that she had been healed. And Jesus, in the midst of all this, again, he does not view her as an interruption or, 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 or something to be resented. He stops and he said, who touched me? Who touched me? I remember getting through the hallways in high school. It was a dangerous thing to touch the wrong person, Amen. especially if it was, it was their sneakers. In fact, some of them would post up on the hallway just putting their sneakers out there, wanting someone to provoke them, right? But it was hard not to press in and touch somebody. And, and here, in the midst of all those people, who touched me? No wonder his disciples are like, come on, Jesus, look, man, we're all touching you. What do you mean who touched you? But Jesus said, no, somebody touched me for I perceived the power that went out for me. That doesn't mean he lost power. It just knows he was aware of what he was happening in and through him and in the lives of, uh, of the people around him. She didn't tell anybody. But Jesus knew and he healed her. So why then did he ask who touched me? Well, it seems like a pattern in the Bible that the Lord likes for us to confess what's really going on in our hearts. He knows. Why pray? Why do we pray if God knows everything? Well, there's something about us in communication with him that develops the relationship that he desires to have with us. And so sometimes he's just waiting for us to come and to realize, hey, Lord, you're the one who has the answer to my need, and I'm just going to ask you to do it. Sometimes there's something he's trying to work out in us. And as we continue to come to him and ask the questions, he helps to sort out in our own minds and thinking so that when the time is right, we're ready to receive that for which we've been asking in our prayers. Much goes into this whole thing, but bottom line is the Lord knows and he cares. And here we see as, as this woman reached out to touch him, he healed her, but he also didn't just let her fade into the distance. He stopped and he said, who was it? And he's looking at everybody and they're all, no, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. And it says, when she realized that she was not hidden, she came trembling. She was supposed to be avoiding people because she was unclean. But she was desperate for Jesus. And so she was trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed 
immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Where was her faith? In the Lord Jesus. Before it had been in doctors. Before it had been what she was trying to do. Now it was in Jesus alone. And he said, your faith has made you well. Not because it was a great faith, but because it was in Jesus. She believed who he was. Now by this point, we see a greater challenge. As Jesus was speaking to her, verse 49 tells us, while he was still speaking, someone came from Jairus' house to tell him, listen, don't trouble him anymore. It's too late. Your daughter's dead. Man, I can't imagine what that must have been like. The hope that he was holding on to, knowing that somehow if I could just get Jesus to her, he could prevent this disaster from happening. And now it's happened and he's too late. His faith was struggling. Again, it's not what, whether your faith is strong, it's what your faith is in. And so Jesus turns to Jairus and says, don't be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. Talk about defying your logic. But how many times does the word of God defy logic? If we go by logic alone, we're going to convince ourselves that being good is the way to get to heaven because the Bible tells us what good is. It commands us to do it. And we think if I could just do that, I'll please him. But we can't. We sin. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of destruction. No, he tells us through the foolishness of the message preached. The good news concerning that what Jesus did for us, he died on the cross. He paid for our sin so that we could be set free from the death that we deserve because of our sin. Listen, the the picture of these two people, they had physical needs. But I'm I'm convinced that their, their stories are preserved here for us because they're a picture of the way the Lord wants to meet our spiritual need. We have great need for the healing from the damage of sin in our hearts and lives. And if you've never come to him at the cross of Jesus Christ, knowing that he died for you to put your faith in that work that he did by dying in your place, raising from the dead to be able to give you new life. Let me tell you, come today. You're not guaranteed tomorrow, but there is no other way. No other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You must come to Jesus Christ. These two people were awakened to the reality that nothing was going to bring them the healing that they needed, but they came to Jesus and he met that need. Maybe you're afraid he won't accept you. Maybe you're afraid he's too late to rescue your life from the destruction that you're experiencing. He's never late. Maybe by our calculations, but not his. And he wanted to show this to Jairus. So he said, listen, don't be afraid. The Lord knows if you're afraid today to come to him. Listen, when when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were hiding from him, trying to fix their own problem with their fig leaves. They were afraid of confronting the Lord. But he asked the same question. Where are you? Did you eat from that tree I told you not to eat from? He just was waiting for them to stop running, to repent, to change their mind and come back to him to receive his way of forgiveness, to, to, to deal with their sin and need his way. And that faith in him is what they needed. And so Adam came from out of his hiding. He admitted his wrong and God provided a covering for his sin. And he has done that now to the ultimate through Jesus Christ. Have you admitted your need for him? Or are you still trying to fix your problem, your sin problem? 
it's not going to work. You've already got the sickness and you don't have the cure. This woman spent her whole livelihood trying to find another way, but it didn't work. She just got worse. And you'll find the same thing in your life until you come to Jesus Christ. But he said, do not be afraid. Only believe, trust me, and she will be made well. Well, they go on to the house. Don't know how long the journey was, but they came to Jairus' house, and he didn't let anyone else go in. This is what I think is interesting, all right? If these people are reminders to us that we have problems with sin, and this is not just the unbeliever message now. We're talking about those who already know the Lord as their Savior. Listen, we have healing that we still need to. Maybe it's not from the penalty of our sin, but from the power of sin in our lives. Hey, listen, we still have a sickness we still have this in nature that's, that's pulling us away from the Lord and, and, and we find ourselves without strength and we need his healing. And so there was two different conditions here. Jairus and his daughter, lots of people knew about. He announced in front of all these people when he humbled himself. They knew Jairus. Perhaps they, they'd been watching his daughter sick for a while. They all knew about it. It was a public thing. Some of us, it's interesting. There's a passage in 1 Timothy where speaking of elders, And it says not to lay hands on anyone too quickly, nor share in other people's sins. Those who go into leadership, we need to really know who they are because here's what he says. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. What's he saying? Some of us, we wear our emotions and all of our actions on our sleeve. Listen, it's obvious. We have a problem with anger. We have a problem with, 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 uh, 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 I wrote some down because I knew I was stealing with, Greed, with dishonesty, with gossip, external things that people can see 10 minutes after we've walked into a room. Listen, those are things like Jairus' condition that are out in the open that, that need to be brought to Jesus for healing. Maybe you've been trying to break some of these things in your own life and find yourself still slipping back. Listen, we need to come to Jesus for the healing that he can provide. But some of us are like the woman in the very private areas of our lives nobody knows about, but we're experiencing the uncleanness of private sin in our lives. Perhaps it's deep in the recesses of our hearts and there's bitterness and unforgiveness. Perhaps we live lives of covetousness and just constantly distracted by material things and not giving the Lord his rightful place in our lives. Perhaps there are moral areas of our lives where, whether in thoughts or inappropriate viewing on the Internet, we find ourselves struggling in private and are shackled in the chains of shame and guilt and not knowing how to be set free and we need like the woman to come to reach out and get the touch we need with jesus i'm convinced that's the message that god is wanting to say to us in our day and age through the example of these two people because listen as far as these two characters as we compare and contrast we suffer the same way maybe it's maybe it's a physical malady But listen, spiritually speaking, we have sickness and areas of weakness that we cannot heal ourselves. They need to be brought to Jesus. That's where we're going to find deliverance. And I got to tell you, the character of Christ is still the same. He knows. He cares. He has compassion. He will respond. We see that in the conclusion. Personally, he went to them. And it says he touched her. He took her by the hand and said, little girl, arise. Here she was dead, unable to move. 
her spirit had departed. But with the touch of Jesus, she was brought back to life. Maybe you feel in your own heart that you've passed the point of no return. Maybe you feel like spiritually, listen, I'm, I'm dry like a branch that's been cut off a long time ago. It's not too late. God is wanting us to come to him for the healing that we need. Interestingly enough, in James chapter 5, we often use this passage to talk about physical sickness. But I would suggest to you today that the primary application of this passage is actually the spiritual sickness that we as believers suffer in our personal lives. Listen as we read James 5, starting in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. I'm going to stop right there. And if you're following along and want to go with me, I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 4. The same word for sick is used in Hebrews 4. Asthenos in the Greek, without strength. That's the word translated sick. But here in Hebrews 4, we're told... Verse 12, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has already passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, asthenos, but we, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You notice the word, it's the same. Now, when I read this passage, we always think spiritual weakness. I'm going through temptation. I'm going through trials. I've been discouraged. I've been failing. I need my heavenly, I need my, my great high priest, the Lord Jesus, who's already suffered all the temptations like I do and done it without sin to give me the strength that I need in my time of weakness so that I can, that I can live this life that he's called me to live. I can find the grace to help in time of need. I can find the mercy that I need in my weakness. But we come over to James and we hear, is anyone among you sick and without strength? And we somehow are deceived by the enemy to just look at the physical needs. How many times I've struggled in my heart over something and I've prayed. But it's not until I practice this verse. Verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. This is not talking about going to some formal confessional like some religious groups would practice where you got to go through a ritual he says confess your faults take that sickness that you have found nothing to help and bring it to the lord like jairus others came with him that they besought the lord for the help that he needed or this woman who on her own came is anyone among you sick 
sometimes even says, call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Sadly, it seems like this only happens for physical sicknesses and not for spiritual sicknesses. But he says, the prayer of faith will save the one without strength and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's, if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Not because of who we are, but because, in the example here, Elijah was right with God. He came to intercede for those who needed to get right with God. And the Lord heard his prayer. If we're harboring sin... Lord says, I can't listen to you. I can't extend my help to you until you let it go. Jairus was willing to completely humble himself, to cast himself at the feet of Jesus to find the healing that his daughter needed. This woman was willing to lay it all out there that she might find the healing she needed. Who is this Jesus? Where is your faith? Listen, if, if you're a believer here today still trying to fix your own sin problem, finding yourself failing, Let's stop. Let's put our faith in Jesus. If you need help with that, listen, stay behind and talk with one of the other believers here who you, who you know and trust so that together we can practice this and find the healing that we need. Let's not just play the game of going on with emotions and do another week struggling the same way. We don't need to. The Lord is here as we gather in His name. He's called us together to be a help one to another that as we look to Him, He can do the healing that we need. But if you're someone who's not even saved yet, you're not a child of God, yet, your sin's not been forgiven, you're still in your sickness, the penalty of your sin is upon you, come to Jesus Christ today. It would be such a privilege to introduce you to the same Savior who saved me, same Savior who saved those kids at camp this last week, who is alive and well on planet Earth. But let's not be like the multitudes who sent Him away. Let us wait upon him, welcome him, and put our faith in him. Let's pray. Lord, today, we live in a society much like it seems in that day. Much of society would love to just send Jesus away. Leave us alone. And sadly, that's what they're left with. A life separated from you now. And if they never are awakened to the truth and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, will suffer a separated eternity. But Lord, I know they don't have to. Your word says that Jesus was a propitiation, satisfying your wrath to make your forgiveness available to all men who will receive him. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Father, I just pray that your spirit would continue to convict here today. Anyone who's here present, who's wrestling with coming to the end of themselves, seeing the desperation of their need, like Jairish and like this woman, that they would just come to you today, putting their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they may be healed. Father, I would just pray again. For those who maybe aren't even here today but have heard in the past, I think of the children who went home from camp and the seed of your word was scattered in their hearts and is still there. Lord, would you help it to find a root in each one's heart that it may spring up with eternal life, bear fruit 
to the honor and glory of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. We ask it in his name. Amen.